The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I'm going to start out um, with a few with a few things. If you are not following me on YouTube, my YouTube audience is sadly really not growing very fast, ladies and gentlemen, and and other everyone, everyone. It is not growing fast enough. I don't know why. Maybe because you listen and then you don't want to like watch it on YouTube. I get it. But if you do want to watch on YouTube, you can follow judging the Judging Megan podcast on YouTube. Um, I'm also now on Patreon. You can listen to riveting conversations with my husband and I talking about our great love for each other and maybe our great fights. Today, I asked him to go on a walk with me. I said, this is so nice. Let's go on a walk together. It'll be like a love walk. He was like, that's the weirdest thing you've ever said in your life. So we'll talk. We'll expand more on like our are really interesting conversations being together for all the years we've been together. Also raising two kids, which are not, especially my 12 year old, it is not an easy situation. I will bring my guest in in a minute on that. Uh, lastly, um, thank you for your reviews on uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. I'm now on Pandora, iHeart. Um, it helps new listeners find me. Uh, I really appreciate it for my ego as well, because everyone knows you need to have a better, a bigger ego in this world. And speaking of egos, so I am now on day 47 of my sober curious journey and, um, and it's going great. 
I'm I feel really obnoxious because if I was listening to this while I was still downing my my bottle of buttery Chardonnay basically almost every night, um, I would have been like, oh God. But I do I want to tell you this as a service, like a like a public service announcement, which also sounds so annoying. Um, I really feel good. I really, really, really do. And what I can tell you is, I, I, I said this on the episode I recorded that's going to come out next week, but um, I feel clearer and I really feel like I am dealing with stuff the way I'm supposed to be dealing with it. I, I have uh, a therapist on right now, so I might touch on that in a second. Um, but I just wanted to say without being too preachy and annoying and obnoxious that for me, I needed this break. I'm not saying I'm never drinking again in my life. I'm taking it day by day, but I feel really good. So I'm going to say that I feel really good. Um, and then the last little thing I was going to say is today I posted something on Instagram and sometimes when I post things on Instagram, which I love, you can find me at Judging Megan, by the way, little plug. I feel like I'm sitting here throwing my life out or my opinions out or even like a picture of myself that I like or a picture of my family. And then there's like this thing that you're kind of like waiting, like, oh, are people going to say great job? Are people going to say you look pretty or pe whatever they're going to say? And somebody said today on a post that I posted um, about not drinking, she said something, and it's a listener of mine that I adore. She said something like, you are fantastic. I just adore you. You're the best. Something like that. And then I thought about it because when I, I always like to respond to everybody, and I love getting messages, whatever. But I thought about it, and I was like, well, I'm not fantastic. I'm just like everybody else. I'm just trying to do the best I can every day of my life. And I'm not fantastic. In fact, I can be quite the B-I-T-C-H sometimes. Like my story that I told a week ago about a woman that should not be wearing a romper. It was not flattering. And I also don't like her. So I said a mean story. And I just want to point that out, that when I post stuff on Instagram, my life is not fabulous 24 hours a day. I am a freaking work in progress 24 hours a day. I could have just posted that post when you said how great I was and five minutes later was like cussing out my husband or like picking up dog poo, dog poo or screaming at my daughter and slamming a door. I am going to bring in my guest right now because I want to know if he number one wants to run and jump off the podcast so I won't have a guest for the week and what his thoughts are. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. 
So uh, Robert Schultz is a licensed and licensed marriage and family therapist. He's a, a professional clinical counselor. Uh, he's a consultant. His resume is not impressive at all. A consultant, so he helps schools and at the university levels on everything from massive traumas and shootings and bullying, you name it. Um, he also deals with prevention and postvention. So he, I'm going to have him explain that to me. And his company is called The Change Place. Thank you, Robert, so much for coming on. That only took five minutes for my, me to do my spiel this morning. How are you? Megan, thank you so much for having me on and keep talking. Um, and how impressive your, your journey. Um, congratulations on that. And it's it's so cool, you know. We try something different, and we we never know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, that's that's really cool. You're taking that the, the curiosity journey, I think, is what you call sober, it. Sober, yeah. sober, yeah. curious journey, which I stole from. Some, I don't know. Yeah. Everybody's saying, "Oh, I'm on a sober, curious journey." I don't. I don't. Again, I don't know if I'm like never going to drink again. I just feel so good that I'm kind of like, why not? You know. I mean, to be honest with you, I. Yeah. I, my entire adult life, I have leaned on very heavily on alcohol to try and soothe like the trauma of my life and childhood. And anytime there's an occasion, any occasion, really, I mean, we as Americans, I think, lean so heavily on drinking, even at like kids birthday parties, you know, like it seems like it's part of our culture. And I kind of was like always afraid to not be fun Megan anymore and not to drink and be like party funny Megan. And I, what I found during this time is I'm number one, I'm happier. Number two, I'm still fun. In fact, I think I'm more fun and I think I'm a better mom and a better wife. So I'll say that. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, and change isn't easy. Yeah. And you know, I'm in the business, I'm in the business of change and, I think that's why, you know, even the name of my company, The Change Place, you know, that's what it's all about. And I know the change is really hard. Um, and, and yet, like for me, whether it's working with an individual client or working with a school system or a company, um, you know, oftentimes people are calling me like when something's happened, you know, something's not going right in their either in their personal life or you know, where there's been an incident in a school and people are upset and they're demanding change. And that's the exciting part of my work is I get to, to come in and partner and really work with people, um, sometimes during some really, really challenging times to help them, um, help them implement things so that, that things run smoother and better. Well, let's, let me find out a little bit about you because I've spent a great deal of time being self-absorbed and talking about myself. Um, I would love to know kind of your backstory. I know that you've been in a, yeah. in a counselor for, I believe, 25 years. I kind of would like to know where you're from. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, originally I'm from Ohio. I'm from the, from the great Midwest and, um, and have kind of bounced around from, from Arizona to Connecticut and came to California about 15 almost, I guess, almost 20 years ago. Um, and so my wife and I moved here and she's also in the mental health field. And, um, but my, my journey in mental health, it really, it really began 
in in community and mental health in working with kids who were um, oftentimes um, referred because they were part of the child protective service system. Um, maybe they had been traumatized or abused. Um, and that was kind of my original entry into it. And then um, just one day somebody asked me, hey, do you ever want to work with people that have actually been the abusers? And that set forth a pretty good chunk of my early career. Um, spent about a decade working with both uh, kids, teenagers, and adults who were um, kind of on the other side where like they had been the offender um, and they had committed a violent offense against someone else. Um, and, and a lot of people I always ask, like, how could you do that work? Mm -hmm. And I always viewed it as, you know, how can we not do that work? Because, you know, we, we ultimately, most people who commit a violent offense, they're back out in the world. And, you know, and so we're, we do need efforts to rehabilitate, um, individuals. And it was what I loved about my work with teenagers is, you know, when we could, we could kind of catch them early in that cycle, we really could make a difference. And, and so I really spent a good, good bit of my, my time doing that work. Um, and then I, then I had a transition where I worked into more in with uh, college students and, and that's where my love for prevention work came um, because it was at a time when we were really saying, you know, wow, we really need to do something about, you know, like sexual assault on college campuses. And so it was kind of at that wave of time when um, campuses were really paying a lot more attention to prevention efforts around, around um, violence prevention, whether dating violence or other types of violence on a college campus. And um, yeah, and, and so my work has kind of been all over the place from, you know, following up after um, individuals have, have maybe acted out and caused a lot of trauma in the world. Um, today, I, I really kind of walk into all those worlds where I do spend a lot of time, you know, working with, with systems, trying to help them figure out how do you get out ahead of things? How do you put your plans in place? How do you really get everybody on the same page about um, creating a culture of safety? And, <clears throat> but then sometimes, you know, things happen and, you know, I'm invited in to kind of help, you know, how do we get this thing under control? You know, we can't, it's already, we're too far down the road, but now we need to know how to stop it. I love, and, I love um, what you said about, like, in my opinion, everybody needs a second chance. I mean, I should put, I should say not everybody, but the majority of people. And, and the fact that, you know, if you're a criminal or you do something wrong, um, yes, I believe that counseling and therapy, like there's a reason for everything, why somebody does something. It could be they were molested and then they, you know, a lot of kids in the foster system, especially, you know, um, have issues um, being a, an ace myself or um, somebody that went through a great deal of trauma yeah. as a, a little girl, um, this stuff manifests. And so 
we all should be given the ability or the gift of therapy. Don't get me started on what I think about mental health in this country and how we every it should be free. In my opinion, we wouldn't have the issues. I'm I don't know if you agree with me on that, but um, I think it's really important what you yeah, big access issues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's super important what you have done, and I love it. I love hearing stories about that. And um, it's almost like, well, if somebody goes to jail and they need a, you need a defense attorney and you, there's a prosecutor, well, what if there wasn't a defense attorney? I mean, de defense attorneys are always treated like dirt because they're defending a criminal. But how do you know that the criminal's not innocent? You know what I'm saying? So... I kind of in my head was thinking, totally, right. yeah. So I'm. That's really impressive. Um, can you, before we go into what I really would love to talk about today, which is if there's a few subjects, I would love to talk touch on bullying, which I talked to you before we started, sure. um, and just the yeah. the cycle of why people bully. Um, I've done another episode about bullying, but I would love to know what like some secrets, some things that we can control. Um, I know that in my, I have two little girls, which I told you before we recorded, one is eight, one is 12. I already am hearing from other parents in the class that it's going on in our third grade class. Um, the things I see with my 12 year old, you know, are very upsetting. She's doing okay. I have her in therapy right now, which I think everybody, every kid should be in therapy if they can. Um, so I wanted to know if we could get started there and your thoughts on what I just said. Yeah. So yeah, we can touch on a couple of different things. So, you know, the, I guess the first question is like, why, so why do people bully? Mm -hmm. And, and that's a, you know, that's a complex question. You know, sometimes, you know, we want to we want to make the jump. Well, it means that all those people were bullied at some point in their life, which is actually not true. Um, that, that there definitely are a number of people who go on to bully that have that history. And so they were, you know, they're sort of acting out, you know, what's happened to them. You know what we but what we also see, there's like these other reasons why people, you know, and sometimes it's it's neglect. Um, sometimes it's other forms of maltreatment that may not be bullying, but, you know, they've been through stuff, you know, like you mentioned, they've, they've, they have these adverse childhood experiences that sort of leave them deprived and, or, or hurt or not having kind of healthy ways to interact in the world, to get their needs met. Um, so they've grown up in these, these, these states of deprivation They've kind of had to learn to live in survival mode a lot of their life, which when we're living in survival mode. Oftentimes we don't we don't behave in the in the best of ways because <laughs> we're just trying to get by. Um, and and you know and again it's that thing of you know those individuals they oftentimes feel really out of control in their life, and they're just they're trying to find ways to get in control. And, and sometimes they find healthy ways, sometimes it's unhealthy ways. And, and, and a lot of that shows up interpersonally, you know, so they're, you know, so they're, they're trying to, you know, to make connections in school and, and they don't get their way. Well, they haven't been taught kind of like healthy ways to, to manage difference and conflict 
you know, what they know is they know to, you know, get demanding or get controlling, um, you know, or in, you know, in many ways or get abusive uh, to try to get what they want. Um, and I think, but I think there's, then there's sort of the subtleties or the, the, the other ways that people kind of come to bullying behavior, you know, and, and Megan, I think just a little bit, we've been talking here. I think you would agree with this. I think, you know, kids, you know, a lot of kids are, are growing up at a time, like raising kids right now is hard, you know, and, you know, coming out of, of, you know, the pandemic and people kind of being locked away and socialization is really, uh, really took a huge hit on kids and, and parents and families are just kind of like, I don't know about you, but like tired. Mm -hmm. And, and so what we're seeing is, you know, like when I see like, you know, like we both have like seventh graders, um, you know, we're seeing those kids like they're behind, mm -hmm. like socially, like they're, they're not functioning all the time at that, that level. And, and we're seeing that across the board. Um, I think also kind of like in the school settings, what I'm seeing is that schools have just been scrambling to figure out how do we deliver education? And what fell off, I think, during the pandemic was a lot of the social emotional um, learning and teaching. And they're just trying to get their footing back about how to manage conflict. And I'm seeing a big uptick when I'm talking to schools and incidents of bullying, um, of harassment, those kinds of things. And, you know, because again, not that they were ignoring them completely, but I think during the pandemic, there was so much, there were so many other things that were sort of like, like, how do we keep our kids physically safe? Mm -hmm. I think some of the emotional stuff kind of got put to the backseat. Um, well, also on the school side and defending the schools and the counselors and whoever else, I mean, it must be constant. And it's kind of like they're doing the best they can, like keeping all the plates up in the air. Yes. But, you know, how do you manage? Um, how do you manage like for and this is just my own opinion. I feel like this comes from home. It comes from the parent. Yes. So, for example, during COVID, okay, so I'm going to use my own child who hopefully will never listen to this and then hate me in a few years, but I'm not going to go too much into detail. But I will say in COVID, behind screens, right, on iPads, like secretly, um, now in, they're, they're incorporating, we finally caved in and gave our daughter um, a phone this year. She's in seventh grade because she wanted to be feel included like everybody else. Now she's super into TikTok. She's taking selfies 24 hours a day. Um, she, I know we can't, I know that we need to do a better job as parents. This is a totally separate episode on monitoring her TikTok and we deleted Snapchat, but my daughter is very smart. But what I'll say is during that period, Obviously, families that were friends are going to branch out and then they're going to have their kids in these social settings, like in teeny tiny groups during COVID. And then once everybody goes back to school, they there's kids that are left out. There's kids that are different. There's kid, you know, our culture now in general 
it's okay, which I think is a good thing to tell children, whatever you are, like, that's who you are. Whereas kids couldn't be like in seventh, eighth grade when and be like, oh, I think I might be gay. Right. And during my generation, especially at a Catholic school. Well, now I think kids have the ability to feel to know that maybe I shouldn't say different, but they just aren't like everybody else. Um, And that's good. That's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. But they're going to get teased. And then those little cliques and groups that started are going to have to point out the differences in these kids and who knows what's coming from home. But this is my long-winded personal opinion. I've told both my kids every day I say this to them before they go to school, be kind. I don't care about anything else. I don't care if you're the prettiest. I don't care if you're the most popular. I don't care about anything else because I don't want a cycle to continue that I went through in my own personal experience. I wasn't always kind, and that's all I try to do now is be kind. So you need to be kind. And if and I and I tell mothers that I know in the class of the third grader, I'm like, if my kids ever mean, you come up to me and you tell me. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if like your friend doesn't like me. I need to know. And I hope that's the right thing to do. But I'm just trying to say this all comes totally. from home because I think there's a ton of parents yep. that put their he- head in the sand and they just go, well, Susie, Susie's in the cool group. So as long as my Susie's in the cool group, I could care less until Susie's not in the cool group. Yeah. Right. So right. that's that's yeah. kind of what I want and, to say on that. And I, Yeah. And there's so many things I could follow up on. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me talk on the social media part first. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the the social media part and good for you for being a parent who like you, you're trying to draw some limits and boundaries around that. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Um, and yet it's really worth it. Um, we as adults don't know how to manage our technology real well. Okay. Right. Um, kids' brains do not have the ability to draw lines and limits. And their brains were never meant to have to manage all that is in front of them today. It's, it's way too much. It's the, the overstimulation that we see from kids. Then you add in the social element of social media and all the complexity that goes on there. Um, and and it's, it's very overwhelming for kids. Um, and at the same time, rewarding. <laughs> so it's this really interesting balance of, like I can get really stressed out by being on social media and what's going on in my conversations. But on the other hand, the dopamine is just constantly flowing. Mm-hmm from that. And depending on what circles they're, they're sitting in and, you know, and sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't think social media is good or bad, but I, I think it's, I think it's where they live and the circles they live in and the kind of, kind of, kind of people they're interacting with plays a huge role to your point. Like if they're, you know, if they're in a really divisive kind of social media setting, yeah, they're, they're, on defense, they're constantly being inundated 24-7 with, you know, some pretty emotionally laden material. It's a lot for them to manage. Um, and, and very easily, even, even if you've got a great kid, but, you know, your, your kid all of a sudden finds themselves in a group 
of other kids that might be, you know, picking on some other kids or making some negative comments, you know, now they're in that group. Maybe they didn't set out to be in that group, but the power, you know, it's that, you know, that hiding behind the screen that, that people get and the, and the things they will do and say behind the screen that they would never do in person. <laughs> um, we see, you know, these kids are practicing bad behavior um, online, even kids that may not, you know, they're not bad kids, but they're, they get a little taste of it in the social media world. And then oftentimes that translates, you know, into real life as well. I love so, I love that you said that. I, I hate to talk over you, but the pointing out that I I mean, I can't control sometimes like this morning, for example, I wanted to say something about somebody was posting something about Kanye West, um, which is mm-hmm. I hate to say this, but he's obviously, in my opinion, very sick, but what he's doing is very wrong and it's very upsetting. So I barely had the self-control. I started to type something to comment on a post and then I had to take a step back and go, why am I going to, what, what is the point of saying this? Like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm like acting like a troll hidden behind a camera by commenting and I'm old and I can barely control myself. So my 12 year old, you know, who doesn't have a fully functioning brain yet, there's no way, you know, that these kids can control what they're going to do. And like you said, especially with girls, there's the queen bee syndrome, right? You want to be accepted. There's the queen bee and then all of the little bees in the hive. They want to be accepted. They learn these weird TikTok dances. Everyone's doing them, you know, so it everything you're saying makes sense. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> and I, and I think, um, you know, to your, to your point, you know, so they, they get into these, these virtual worlds, they, they start to say things that they, you know, maybe ordinarily wouldn't, but then they get rewarded for it. You know, they get the likes next to the mean comment. And, and so, oh, well, that feels pretty good, you know, uh, and nothing negative happened. Um, I also think kind of like what you're addressing too is, and, and I hear you, I don't know how many times I start typing something, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I can't send that, <laughs> okay, in response. So you're not alone in that. But we we are, we're kind of living in this world of divisiveness right now. And, you know, pick the issue. But, you know, that isn't helping. And and I, I was just talking about that with a group a couple of weeks ago. Man, we are, we're, we're, a, we're a society of grievances, like we just we just pile them up in our heads and and feel pretty entitled about holding on to you know our grudges and those negative ways we kind of see people and and then kind of feeling like that gives us permission to act out um, super super unhealthy of course um, but we, when we look at when we look at things like violence um, we know that that grievance holding is like a huge proponent and one of the things that fuels a lot of violence is you know if i can kind of feel justified that you've hurt me um that gives me permission you know i'm not saying it's right but it can kind of give me permission to act out and and that's you know sometimes we do see that we see that with bullying we see that with sometimes a lot with school shooters Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you go back and you look at profiles and their histories, almost in every case, almost in every case, you know, they've got a list. They've got people that they were pissed off at, um, that that people who had wronged them. Some of, you know, in some of those cases, like some really horrible things happened to those people. But I think on a smaller scale, we also some we sometimes see that in the bullying world, you know, where <clears throat> you know maybe a kid grows up in a house where you know, they're not, they're not taught how to manage emotions. They're not taught that it's okay to talk about issues. They grow up in a house where mom and dad are, you know, really quick to um, kind of be mean to them, you know, when they've, when they've acted out. So they've, they've picked up that this culture of meanness is one of the ways that like, it's okay uh, to be that way in the world. So it's, it's multifaceted. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D designed for serious allergy suffering. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you think yeah. that that um, it's getting worse? Like, just I, I think with the combination of COVID, and then I think, like you said, there's so much like negativity. Um, I don't like to get political on the podcast, but what I will say is, for me personally, I am so tired of the far left and the far right. I just want people to get things done. I want it to be like it was when I was a kid where people could just talk to each other. People didn't weren't saying yeah. like you're ugly, you're fat out loud, you know, mean things. Like it just wasn't accepted and now it's like I think that everybody what you're teaching your kids if you're on one side or the other is just really yes. kind of creating this culture of like monsters and it's it's not acceptable to be 
to be this way. So of course it's like almost saying if there's bullying in yeah. schools, well, it's okay because we're allowed to have our opinions because that's what everyone's yeah. doing yeah. these I mean, days. I, right? So I wonder is well, the I mean, bullying I think, culture yeah, I mean, all you have to worse? do is, you know, you go online and you see the divisiveness that's out there just in general in the, in the overarching world. Um, you know, those, the, again, and, you know, and there's, there's pros and cons and every, every generation has its challenges, but I, but I think in terms of the outward nature of the aggressiveness, we're, we're definitely seeing an uptick in that, you know, you know, maybe 40, 50 years ago, you might've thought some things, <laughs> um, but you probably wouldn't have said them most of the time, or you didn't have all the, the outlets to say them. Whereas now, I think people, like on one hand, they feel more justified in being able to express things. Um, but that sense of civility, I think we've really lost that. And, and, and we're not, like, where, where are our kids getting those lessons? And I, I agree with you a lot, Megan. I mean, it's like, parents, if you're listening, like, this is one of our jobs. Like, our, our job is, like, if your only job is to raise a good, a good human being, like that's it's kind, wow! Like you've given a lot to the world, um, because they're not—they're getting a lot of other messages out there in the world to not be kind, to mm -hmm. be pretty self-centered. You know, whether it's the selfie or the TikTok. And again, I, you know, I'm not saying that's bad, but but there's a lot of self-centeredness. There's a lot of like like about make it about me, and and less focus on. You know, like, how do I get along in the world? You know, yeah, how like I... the like the overconsumption of stuff and money, and um, you have this, you you don't have this. Um, I think it doesn't help. I'm speaking personally. We live in Los Angeles in a beach community with a lot of money. Um, I think parents are busy. Um, they're working. They want to give their kids everything. But at the end of the day, you know, I think back to my own life growing up <laughs> where we didn't have, um, we would be like sent outside to play kick the can or ghost in the graveyard. And then if I had a problem at school with a girl that was being mean to me, cause I did go through a little brief period of time between like the ages of like four to probably like sixth grade where I was teased I had buck teeth. My mom gave me a freaking bowl cut. Thanks, mom. I'm still mad about it. Um, you know, I wasn't, I was chubby, like all those things. And like girls were just mean, but I could, you know, get picked up from carpool, go home, see my sister, my older sisters, my brother go out in the court, play kick the can, you know, ghost in the graveyard with all the neighborhood kids, go home, go to bed. Yeah. And then right. wake up the next day. I wouldn't have to pick up a phone to see like somebody saying, Megan, you're chubby or you have a bowl cut. Whereas now that's what kids see, you know? And so I wonder my next kind of like question to you is how minus just the parenting, which, you know, you can't go to people's houses and be like, hey, be a better parent. Like let's get together as a group. But what are some what are some things that people can do to kind of stop bullying in its tracks when they're in seventh, eighth grade and this junior high period, which is so critical in a human being's development? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I, I see it as one of the sort of crucial conversations you have with your kids. You know, I think there's there's lots of conversations you're going to have, you know, you know, whether it's about sex or drugs. But I think I think this is one of those other crucial conversations about <clears throat> about how we treat others. It sounds so simple. Like, why should we have to do that? Because I don't think we can just think that they know um, and and help them understand, like what you know, what what are the like what are the limits of you know, like if you have a difference with someone, what's a healthy way to talk about that difference? Um, but but just I think if parents would just talk about with their kids bullying behavior um, in an upfront way, set set some expectations for themselves, like you know, and talk with them about. Hey, so what if your what if your friend what if, what would you do if you saw this happening to your friend? Um, you know what would you what would you say to them? Would you would you step in? Would you would you tell someone? Have those conversations with your kids so that they can kind of begin to process what they would do if they were in a situation. You know, and we, we sometimes we refer to that as as bystander intervention, where we teach kids you know, how to, what, what they can do in a situation, but we have to kind of give them a playbook. We can't just assume they're going to know what to do. Just like, you know, when they're at a party and, and somebody offers them a joint or offers them something to drink, you know, we have to talk with our kids about how to manage those situations ahead of time. Well, so well, what I think do you do? That's a separate... <laughs> I'm still like not prepared for those years. I'm terrified. I mean, I have had my conversations with my kids, but I don't, th I don't know. I don't think I'm doing a good enough job with things like that. But as far as the bullying thing goes, um, what, what, as a parent say, okay, let's say there's a kid in the class and I'm not, this is not me having I'm just saying a scenario and a mom is having an issue with a, a kid in the class and go can they call the other parent and say Cindy is teasing Joey all day like how what do you say about things like that do the parents get involved do they call the school what do parents do in those situations because I do know that that's like a, a situation that I see often or I hear of often. Yeah. What is your opinion on that? It's a great question. And I think it, the answer is it depends. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think if there, if there's an existing relationship with that parent or that family and, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of think there could be some conversation had. Yeah. By all means. I mean, I think, you know, go to the source when appropriate. Um, you know, if, if you don't know that parent, I, I think that's a little harder one. And um, and I think, you know, going to the school or going to the school counselor is one thing. I, I think, but I think there's another step in there too. It's about talking with your kid about what they can do. And, and I think we as parents, you know, we want to, we see our kids hurting and struggling and we just want to jump in and make the pain go away. And, and by all means, I mean, I think there's a time and a place where we need to do that and we need to do that immediately. But then there's maybe those other places where, well, you know, this kid, you know, keeps throwing spitballs at me in class. Let's just use that like as an example. 
really gross and annoying. And, but I'm going to want to give my kid like, okay, so what, what did you do when that happened? Did you, did you, did you turn around? Did you tell them to stop? Um, did you, or did you ignore it and act like it wasn't happening? Um, you know, or, you know, in that case, maybe empower the power your kid to go tell the teacher in that situation, try to teach them to do some advocacy for themselves. You know, a lot of times too, like bullies don't like it. A lot of bullies don't like it when people stand up to them. And I always like when I teach people how to stand up to the bullies in your life, one of the first things we talk about is presence. And we talk about not being as scared as you might be and as anxious as you might be. One of the best things to do is just to be able to turn around and look at them and kind of really look at them in the eye and just say, that's not okay. Like, I need you to stop doing that. That's not cool. And, and that again, as adults, that's hard for us to do. It's uncomfortable as a seventh grader. It's even more uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but, but we also want to try to empower our kids to have skills and make them feel like they have some agency in standing up for themselves. Now, if they, if it doesn't stop at that point, then yes, now we need to take it to the next level. And, and that may be a place like, you know, the teacher's been told, maybe the teacher didn't know what to do. Um, maybe then it's a report to the school at that point. But, but I think there's some real advantage. I think we want to teach our kids, try to give them some skills, um, you know, to, to stand up, to do things if it's safe. But, but clearly, if they're being put in a dangerous situation and it's been going on for a period of time, that's when we as parents have to step in. And, and again, sometimes you'll find parents are really like they're appalled that their kids would, would ever hurt anybody. And when they hear it, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. We will make sure this never happens again. But there are other situations, Megan, I've seen where complete denial Denial yeah. and denial and defensiveness. And like, defensiveness. Defensiveness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I think like, I think that there I, I can think of a situation that didn't happen to me, but I can remember a, a friend I'm no longer friends with had a parent um call her to tell her something about their kid felt bullied or something by another kid. And the par- the parent was like making fun of the parent for calling them and how stupid it was. I'm and P.S. I'm not friends with that person anymore. Thank God. But um, um, I think it's a maturity thing. It's a like I don't know what it is. It's like a don't don't like I don't know what it is. Like if my kid like somebody did actually come up to me to tell me a story about my younger daughter who was involved in something. And she said that something had happened and their daughter asked to play with her little group at recess. And one of the girls said, well, you can't play with us. You know, they're in third grade. And she, you know, the the little girl didn't want to go to school the next day. It's a kid that was new to the school Mm -hmm. this year. So I got in the car and I said to my daughter, my Ella, my younger one, I said, I heard that this is what happened and what what exactly happened that I need to hear your side of the story. And she said, well, we were playing a game and the little girl came up and we had already been playing a game. 
she wanted to play and we said we can't play with you because we've already started this game and I said to her that is never okay she you can change the game you don't tell somebody they can't play with you because you never know how that will affect somebody when they walk away that they're going to be afraid to come to school the next day because they are brand new at the school they don't really know anybody and they don't have friends how would that make you feel right so sort of that teachable moment yeah it's a teachable moment but again this this is something that i consciously work on because i was i believe it or not i was bullied as an adult i went through a horrific friend breakup and had these women just like pounce on me and it was awful and so i'm very conscious of teaching my own kids to not be like that because i went through something so horrific but i think there's a lot of people like i said that just do not care and they do not want to put in the work right so yeah, it is and I what think, it is you know, it's that, and i think for a lot of parents it's just it's this you know they want to they want to act think that they have it all together and mm-hmm. they want to you know the idea that they can acknowledge that they made a mistake or their kid made a mistake is somehow a reflection on them. Look, you know what? Like we're all trying to figure it out and our kids are really trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, and they're going to make mistakes and and through the mistakes, that's where they're going to learn. That's where they're going to grow. And as parents, like we've got to be open to the possibility. Our kids going to make mistakes they might be mean to, they're probably going to be mean to someone at some point. And that's where there's an opportunity for us to help our kids grow, to help them develop some empathy, like you, like you were doing with, you know, with your kid, you know, it's an opportunity to ask that question, you know, how would that have felt? That's an empathy building opportunity right there. And when kids are little, like that empathy, that empathy meter it isn't fully developed yet. <laughs> yeah. But our our job is to help is to help find ways to enhance that. Help people, you know, see when people are deprived or hurting or in a, you know, like that new kid in school. Yeah, I mean they like they're they're in a tough situation. How do we help them actually do something in a positive way and feel good about that? Do you think that on the school level so say number one it's like what the parents are saying at home and teaching empathy and all of those things but do you think on the school level um that they should be having like breakout groups like things like where they're taught to hang out with like you know you don't hang out with your group today or do you i think it should be like a bi-weekly monthly thing where you talk about bullying and have breakout groups. I mean, this is just my own opinion. What are some of the things that can be yeah, done that aren't being done at the school level? Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, and it, and it really varies school to school. Mm-hmm. I think some schools have really embraced, um, you know, the, this idea of inclusivity and and really, you know, talking about, you know, not, not, not even from the negative standpoint, like having breakout groups talking about bullying, but talking about you know healthy relationships and healthy interactions and how to manage differences and how to manage how to manage emotions um, or manage you know when you when you're asked to do something you know is wrong how do you how do you refuse or you know 
redirect that conversation in a different way. That's the, I think it's, it's kind of like, like we know the whole campaign around just say no to drugs. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't work. Okay. Like you have to teach, you have to teach kids skills kind of to, to help them learn to make different decisions. It's not just about teaching them to say no. I mean, that might be part of it, but there's more to it than that. We have to help find other behaviors to replace it. Um, because again, if I, when you look at some bullying behavior on schools, in a weird way, some of the behavior, it's, it's meeting this, this, this need for connection and to be known and notoriety and power. Okay, we all, we all want those things, right? We all mm-hmm. want to be known. We all want to have that connectedness. We all like to have some power and control in our lives. We just have to teach kids how to get that in a healthy way. And, and so I think it's, it's, it's education programs around that, but also being really clear and defining what bullying is. And for schools to have very clear um, policies and expectations around that. And so sometimes like when I'm working with schools, the first thing I, I asked them, I said, oh, well, let me take a look at your handbook, your rules. And, and so I will look in there and say, oh, you know, I, like, is there a, sec- is there a section missing? <laughs> I didn't see anything on harassment or bullying. Oh, you know, we just kind of handle it case by case when it comes up. Mm-hmm. And that's, for me, that's like a big, yeah, you're just setting yourself up. Like, we want to have community standards that are clear so kids can rise, kids and adults. You know, in the workplace, most workplaces you know, they will have a policy book, you know, they're required to have laws about harassment and, you know, discrimination and those kinds of things. Schools also need to have a really clear line about those things. And oftentimes well, you, they don't. You talk about prevention and postvention. Can you yeah. like kind of talk about, so like if you went into a school and you had to talk to them about like bully prevention and postvention, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the prevention part would be a lot of the things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It would be um, a like have policies, have clarity on what your guidelines are. Also, have clarity like on what the response will be. What will be the consequences if you engage in this behavior? Like people need to kind of know what the rules are. Um, but it's not enough just to have it in the in the in the school handbook. Like there needs to be a place for kids to talk about that policy or talk about bullying, um, you know, so that it's part of the culture that these are things that they, the kids see, oh, these, they, they're not afraid to talk about this. They'll, they're not afraid to kind of, you know, really have us look at this. I think it sends a really important message. So on a prevention side, policies really not being afraid to shy away from the difficult topics and when things, and then of course, then there's the intervention piece, like where if an issue does come up, you're following your guidelines, you're following your policies. You know, you can't advertise necessarily like what's happened in the situation because of privacy, but word gets around. Like if a kid has really bullied someone and they get suspended, that sends a message to the community. It's like, oh, okay, that's a problem. On the postvention side, it's really 
Um, you know, like in a bullying case, I think it is making sure, you know, if, if there are lessons that need to be learned from that incident um, systemically. So are there, you know, other, are there other soft spots like in the school setting where bullying behaviors are more likely to occur, um, you know, on the playground, in the bathrooms, um, that where there needs to be, you know, we need to take a look at those things. Mm -hmm. um, also making sure, right, that kid is going to get help um, that has been hurt. Also, sometimes too, kids, other kids have watched this happen. They've seen a bullying incident occur. They've been affected, wanting to have an opportunity to debrief that if other kids have been affected by that and empowered of what they could do or affirmed if they were people that, you know, turned the kid in. Um, but we also want to make sure, too, on the postvention end, we know that a zero tolerance policy on bullying, what I mean by that is that just suspending the bully and sending them home um, without any other expectations or ways for them to learn from the incident, it's not effective. In fact, now you have a kid who's been, who's obviously angry and it has some issues. Now you've kicked them out. Now they're home. We don't, who knows what's going on at home, but it's an opportunity, but we need to make sure some interventions are taking place there. You know, like the school's requiring they get some counseling, that the families, you know, having to kind of learn about what, what's happened here and what they can do to better support their kid, not just punish their kid. Um, so that, that work is so important because, mm -hmm. and again, when we look at the on, the, on the more extreme cases, like where we see these situations, like in the, in the aftermath of like a school shooting or some other major violent incident, what's oftentimes happened is these these kids who engage in the behavior have oftentimes been very isolated. They have had disciplinary records. They've had problems in school. And when we just kind of push them off onto the edges, you know, they just sit and stew and they're pissed off and, you know, then they're in their, in their minds start to go in not good places. So in a weird way, you know, we need to kind of, kind of wrap around in, in, a, in an account an accountable but also a loving way towards the kid who's acted out um because well, it's like what it's like what you said in the beginning you know like that everybody deserves to have counseling no matter what side you're on i mean this makes sense yeah. i mean it comes down to well, hurt, yeah the, the saying hurt people hurt people right hurt people hurt people healed people heal people which is one of my favorite right. quotes, by the way. Um, if if a kid yeah. is if a kid is uh, being hurt at home or isolated, or they continue to go to school and be bullied and made fun of, eventually, if they have no outlet besides video games or social media mm -hmm. or seeing constant reminders of violence or whatever it is, it makes sense. I love what you're saying about that plan. If only it, it could be incorporated <laughs> on every campus, because I think yeah, it's, well, it's a smart yeah. thing. It, and, and the good news is that some campuses are, and I, yeah. and I see that, and I think we have come a long way. Um, we still have a lot of work to do, though. And, mm -hmm. and 
And I think what I always try to sell to schools is, look, I get it. It takes work to implement this, but boy, it also takes a lot of work. If you have something go wrong on your campus, um, that is going to be a ton more work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and that, you know, it's that thing, you know, ounces of a little bit of ounce of prevention really can pay off and, and really preparing your campus when, when stuff is going to go wrong, that you've put that, put that work in on the front end. And, and again, whether it's a, a campus, a workplace, um, you know, like really viewing it as this is, this is a really important issue culture wise um, that, you know, if people feel safe at work, they feel safe at school, everybody benefits from that. And, and so I think we have to kind of, we have to look at, it's an investment in the well-being of our community overall. I love it. Do you, are you available to talk to my kids' school? <laughs> I might I might contact you after about that and put you Absolutely. Um I do I but I really do think everything you're saying is really makes so much sense and so smart. Um you know, as parents, I I see the difference between how involved we are as moms with our third grade girls and how it was with my older daughter. It's like night and day. A lot of the moms, you know, are very involved and they're like, well, what do we need to do to like, stop this? Let's get involved. And I do think it starts with the parents, but I love everything that you're saying about ways the schools can get involved. Prevention and postvention is so important. Um, And then incorporating a plan for the school. I mean, it just sounds like it's it's easy if we put the work in as people, right? It is, yeah, yeah. It's just prioritizing, and it, and it's appreciating that. Like I get it. There's been some other priorities, but I think right now that that social emotional well being um, in schools and workplaces and in our families, like this this is our this is the time to reprioritize that. Um, we, we all need a lot of that right now. We all kind of need do. a lot of healing. I mean, we do because, I mean, the suicide rates in youth are have skyrocketed since COVID. There's, I mean, mental health is the, I think, number one priority that we should have in this country. If we, if we just could help people with their mental health and have programs and things like we're talking about, I just think we wouldn't be in this, in the place that we're in right now. You know, I just think it's so, so, so important. Um, Robert, it was so nice talking to you today. Where are you okay with people following up, reaching out to you? Where can people find you? Yeah, sure. Well, you can, my, my website's really simple to remember. It's um, www.roberttherapy.com. And there's an easy link there to send me a message um, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. And, uh, I always welcome, you know, parents or, you know, whoever, if they have a message, they have a question. I'm one of those people. I'm a therapist who gets back to everybody, even though I'm really busy. Um, I know, I know that people are, are hurting and looking for answers. And, um, I, I just feel that it's part of my work is to be available and help, even if I can't help them help them get to someone where they can get the help they 
by making other people happy. And I will tell you that I had a, a listener reach out to me recently and I re- and I was having the worst day and she said, well, you've been asking your listeners to reach out to you and they don't always. So sometimes I'm like, who is this lady in Bulgaria that's listening to me? It makes my, it makes, I cannot tell you how much I love when people reach out to me and it does make, it's you, my listeners and what I'm doing has healed my broken heart. And I say that all the time and I truly, truly mean it. You've helped heal my broken heart. So be happy by making other people happy. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much for having me. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.